we were able to, out of that pain, love on our community. And because they saw our pain and saw how we were not ashamed to show them in our weakest moment. And at that same time, in our weakest moment, we were able to tell them about this loving God in our worst situation and that He was there for us. Hello and welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Last week, I introduced you to Matt Lucas. If you haven't listened to part one of his story, I would suggest you listen to it first, then come and join us for this part of the conversation. You can look for episode 93 of Candid Conversations. In today's conversation, Matt is candid about losing his son, Caleb, five years ago. Caleb was in college when he tragically passed away from a fatal drug interaction. Matt shares how the Lord has met him in grieving the loss of his son and has used it so powerfully to reach others for Christ. If you have struggled in your faith as you face tragedy or loss, I pray you will be encouraged to press forward in your weakness with Christ one day at a time. Now, on to our candid conversation. It was amazing at at Turner. I was there for 26 years. I thought I was going to be there a couple of years and go into something, do something else. And I really believe I was able to make an impact and influence uh, while I was there. Um. You know, it's there 26 years. I want to say around year 20, maybe like 23 is when Caleb passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, I was working, working on the all-star game and I got a phone call from Rhonda mm-hmm. and she said, Caleb's not breathing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, the phone call, no parent. Wants. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just like, what are you talking about? She's like, he's not breathing. His roommate just called and says he's not breathing. And so I'm running out of the room and I tell Craig as I'm leaving, I'm like, Caleb's not breathing. He's in shock because when you work with people like that for that many hours that they become your family, they know know everything about you. They know, they know your character flaws. They know your relationship with your wife and your kids and they know your kids. And, um, so I get there and the the police are already there Mm. and, you know, I'm wanting to go see him and they won't, they're pushed. They're not letting me in the house. And, uh, you know, in an era when the police are so hated right now, Mm. it's like this big guy bigger than me just took me in his arms. He said, I'm not gonna let you see your son this way. Mm. And just, I buried my head in his chest and he just wouldn't let go of me. Mm. Um, and so, you know, at that point, you begin to have to make phone calls. Mm-hmm. At some point, Rhonda pulls up and at the gate, and I'm like, he's gone. And it's like, I mean, it's like nothing you've ever experienced. Most things that you come across that hurt you or that are painful, you're like, oh, I can, I'll pull from this experience to draw strength from or all, I, I think we can handle it because of this. And it was so painful at some points that you couldn't cry. You know, the hard part about it, and someone, when somebody passes away, there's all this other stuff you just have to do 
paperwork, even, you know, the police were, they were just like, they're apologizing. Like, just, you know, we just need you to sign this. We want you guys to go on your way. And of course, when we go to drive home, it's gridlock traffic. It takes us almost two hours to get back to the house. And Rhonda is, has just lost it. She's beating on the car and, you know, what are we going to do? And at that point, that's where you have to be aligned with somebody. Yeah. Because what comes out next is just like you just start praising him. Mm. You start begging him to show himself. And uh, luckily, we, we were in a community that just absolutely poured out everything they had on us. And so... You know, the, there were some just unbelievable things that God did. The first night is the worst. You know, when it talks about in the Bible, when it talks about, you know, this moaning that came out of when the basically Herod's, you know, killing all the children. Mm. Obviously, there was a lot more than one kid being killed. Yeah. But the moaning that takes place in the middle of the night, your mother-in-law is on the couch, Rhonda's on the couch. I fell asleep with all my clothes on, even my shoes. I got under the covers with my shoes on. Cause you just, you're. Out of and, body, yeah. yeah. And so this kid shows up at seven o'clock in the morning. I've never seen him before. Shows up. He said, um, Mr. Lucas, you don't know who I am. I used to ride the bus with Caleb and, when other kids try to pick on me and hurt me, Kayla would always stand up for me and tell them to back off, you know, and I just want to tell you that I'm sorry. And I love Kayla. Nobody knows who he is. <laughs> We've asked people in the neighborhood who he is, you know, never seen him. He said he lived down the street, you know, and so, it was just like there was these little moments that started happening. And then Rhonda was like, you know, you're going to have the viewing. I hope you don't mind me telling you some of this stuff because it's, it's just amazing. It's like the viewing was that night. Rhonda's like, I just don't think I can do it. You know, I just, you know, cause that day you go earlier on, you have to pick out a casket. <laughs> and Rhonda was like, I just don't think I can do this viewing for this three hours that they're talking about. I was like, no problem. Just let's, let's go in you know, and let her know how much we appreciate them being here. And then you can stay for, you know, 30, 40 minutes and just go home, Yeah. you know, and I'll, I'll handle the rest. And so, you know, you go in as a family, they shut the door, you know, you're 30 minutes to an hour before anybody shows up. And when they opened up the door, the whole lobby was full of people and the line went around like twice around the building and it was overwhelming. I mean, it just was, it was like, how, wait, how, how does he know all these people? Mm. You know, how does he, you know? And, you know, so that was a great opportunity for, you know, Rhonda's her, she's originally born in New York. So she's, she's a little bold, she's bold. <laughs> and she begged these kids that were coming in to come to the service tomorrow. Mm. Said, please come tomorrow. And so uh, we had the ceremony at um, uh, her sister's uh, and my uh, brother-in-law, Brian Busby, the church they were at. We had it there, and it held about a little over 800 people. 
it was packed, you know? And so, um, my brother and my sister and my stepmom sang the first song, um, you know, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. And Ron and I were sitting on the front and as soon as they hit the first note, she stood up and raised her hands as high as she could. And I was like, wow, how, how do you do that? And then the sweetest sound after that happened, it was the, the ruffling of people getting out of their seats to stand up. And it's like at that point, it wasn't a funeral, but it was an opportunity for God to show up. Yeah. And uh, my brother Roger, who was a pastor, spoke, you know, and, and then John got up from Honduras and he, you know, they're both amazing, but they're, they're, they're different. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, it's just, they were different. John had more of a relationship with Caleb. And so he told some pretty funny stories. And at the end, John asked if we had anything else to say. And we went up there and we basically gave an altar call and the, all the seats emptied and everybody came down and, um, it was just an opportunity for us to, that hurt, that pain, that pain can either drive you to a place where you hate everything. <laughs> and believe me, you, you, you can have some reasons to hate or that pain can drive you to absolutely love people. And yeah, we just, we, one at a time, man, we just started just laying hands on people and praying over people and praying over these kids mm. Rhonda made a comment, please don't let my son die in vain. Mm. Um, and Ben Houston, who was a friend of mine who started Caleb's Cup, which was a golf tournament to raise money, took that that message. And um, Ben started this tournament and Joe Fitzpatrick, who basically they are Caleb's Cup. They, they started it. Rhonda and I are just the faces of it, you know. But that first year, Ben... Ben's a roofer, Ben Houston. And he, I thought he was kind of lazy. I was like, man, this dude never works, man. And then after the first year, he like went back to work and I started seeing him like, oh man, Ben's a really hard worker. He had basically taken off wow. that year for me wow. to make sure I was okay. Mm. Cause there were a lot of times I wasn't, I wasn't, I, you know, I wasn't doing well. Mm. And so, yeah, we started, uh, Caleb's cup. It's a golf tournament, raising money to do scholarships for kids that were in the arts in high school to, to show them like, you know, Hey, we don't want you to give up on what God's given you this, this gift of art, whether it's music or drama or whatever. Um, and the first year it was hard. It was so hard, you know, because I'm in video, I did like a video, you know, and, you're just watching these pictures go by. And, and, and then at that point, people are, they want to hear, they want to hear the story. Yeah. And so I realized at that point, it like, this is the time to share the gospel with people and about who Jesus really is. Yeah. And it's like, he is the cure. <laughs> He's the antidote. You know, he is the vaccine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's everything. 
my mother-in-law sings a song. It's called, He's My All-Sufficient One. You lack nothing in him. And we were able to, out of that pain, love on our community. And because they saw our pain and saw how we were not ashamed to show them in our weakest moment. And at that same time, in our weakest moment, we were able to tell them about this loving God mm-hmm. in our worst situation mm-hmm. and that he was there for us, yeah. which a lot of them couldn't comprehend. And there was a big Steven who's about, he's about six foot six, six foot seven. Um, he's a 350 pounds or he's not 375. You know, he'd probably be mad at me for saying that, but he's just one of these guys who's really loving. And, you know, I saw him at the tournament, the first tournament, and he had this bottle of vodka, you know, it was like this huge bottle of vodka. I was like, I said, bad knees. He goes, no, bad knees, back and neck, you know? And I was just like, you know, you're kidding around with him. You know, I'd obviously I'm not condoning that he drinks, but he was the first person that texted me after that night and said, he goes, I'm sorry that I ran out of the room when you were talking. He said, I was so overwhelmed by how you were describing who Jesus was. I couldn't stop crying. And it's at that point, you know, it's those things that you see. I guess, you you, you know, you call it the fruit of or, or it's God working. Like, why would he use me? I'm really not in a place for you to use me right now because I'm hurt. I'm, I'm wounded. And yet out of my brokenness, he just, it just seems to just keep pouring in you and pouring in you. And, and, uh, that started something in our community. It just did. And, um, it started something in Rhonda, you know, uh, where we started, you know, it's so weird. We, we wake up like a, I mean, especially the first couple of years, we were waking up at three o'clock every morning, like both of us, just like wide awake. And I'm just like, man, I got to get back to sleep. I got to go to work in the morning. And at some point we began to realize like, okay, there's, there's a reason why we're waking up. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. I, I think I know what we're, we're supposed to do, Rhonda. I said, we're supposed to put on this armor and start fighting for these, mm. these kids mm. in this neighborhood that are struggling, but nobody knows they're struggling. Yeah. And a lot of times we couldn't call them out by name, but we knew their faces. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, you begin to wield that sword and begin to push back the enemy to give these kids some space to breathe. Um, and, you know, as we begin to do this, man, the phone calls began to start to pour in mm-hmm. to Rhonda, the DMS and, you know, of people, struggling, hurting, I mean, from every range, yeah. whether it was drugs, suicide. I mean, it's, it's a nice neighborhood. It's, it, I mean, that's, this is what's amazing. It's like from everything you look at, it's like, you know, the swimming pools, the houses are nice, the tennis courts and all that. And nothing yeah. is satisfying yeah. them. Yeah. Nothing. It's all pretty on the outside. Yeah. It's an awakening to like, God is the only answer. He truly is. And it's like, I want to call him Papa. I mean, some people will be like, you know, well, that just sounds ridiculous. It's like, no, you, you have no idea. Jesus does. Yeah. 
And it's like you, it's when you begin to realize who he is mm-hmm. and about his kingdom. Jim Caviezel said, we live in a pagan world, you know, and, and I think, especially in this last year, I've, my eyes have been more open than ever before. And we've had more calls of kids trying to commit suicide this last year. A lot of it was before was drug related, but the depression, anxiety, um, suicide, drugs has been so amped up. Because of isolation, isolation, COVID, COVID, all that stuff. And we've met with parents at the local coffee shop, you know, with, them, you know, what do we do? You know, we're not psychologists. We're, you know, like, you know, I said, we can tell you certain things that we've been through that we've experienced with our own kids. Yeah. And that lasts about two minutes, you know, because I'm, I'm like, let's get to, let's get to the answer quickly. Cause I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is Jesus period. End of story, you know, but if we're not telling them that, you know, then, then what, what are, what are yeah. we telling them? Like my mother-in-law always says, what are you going to do? Are you going to be a life giver? Are you, is there going to be life in your tongue or death? She goes, I choose life. I choose to speak life into people. There used to be in this shopping center right over here. There used to be a, a smoothie King yeah. a long time ago. Yeah. And I was with this guy, his name was doc and he was a doctor he was in his eighties. This is probably 15 years ago. Doc passed away a couple years ago, but I just hit it off with doc when I met him and he used to go down to Honduras with Tara and John and do a lot of ministry. And because he was a doctor, he could help out a lot, but he wanted to go to Georgia tech and just, he goes, you think we can get in the stadium? I was like, we can just drive. He goes, I just want to see the stadium. Cause he was a running back at Oklahoma, you know, what, 60 years before that. And so we went in there and he's like, oh, this is amazing. You know, Heisman was here and all this other stuff. And so we're driving back. He's like, I'm really thirsty. I said, well, there's a Smoothie King here next to the church. Why don't we just go in there? And so we go in there and this lady's in front of us and she's, she's getting her thing. And Doc waits for the lady to shut the door and he reaches these old, you know, he's white hair, white eyebrows. He's definitely in his eighties if he's not pushing his nineties. And this, the kid goes, uh, what would you like to order? And he reached out his hand. He goes, son, put your hand, put your hand in my hand. What's he doing? You know? And the, the kid didn't hesitate. <laughs> put his hand in his hand. He said, I'm telling you right now, God's appointed me to pray for you right now. Mm-hmm. He goes, let me speak, speak some life into you right now. And I was like, and some people were like, Oh, that's nuts. That's crazy. You know? And I've chosen not to think of it as crazy, but a boldness of an, somebody who has spent 80 years with God yeah. and tears, huge tears rolling down this kid's face. Wow. You know, and you just like, so what are you going to do? Are you going to discredit it and say, oh, he's just a religious kook? Or are you going to jump in the water and say, you know what, God, I'm going to be such a part of this, even though I'm not the one saying anything or I'm not the one praying anything, but I'm definitely getting wet today because I am not going to miss this moment where you're moving and doing something. And it's like all these things prepared me for Caleb's 
all the things that have happened to me, all the people that have been an influence in my life have prepared me for now. And so it's been a little easier to, to share who I am. Um, you know, the, the thing about Caleb's death is I didn't get to say anything to him before he passed away. He was gone. Yeah. He grew up in a great home. He had a great relationship with his mother. His mom poured into him like nobody's business. She constantly told him who he really was. You know, you think this is what you want to become. Well, let me tell you who you really are in him. You know, um, I remember one time we were sitting at a table and he's like, dad, do you really believe all this stuff? He was in, you know, it was like a sophomore in college and they were starting to influence his, you know, like, should I, I've grown up in this, but do I really believe this? Yeah, you know, yeah. cause you, it comes yeah, a this point is an where, important moment in a kid's yeah. life. Yeah. And why should I believe, you know, I said, Caleb, I'm going to tell you what a story that happened to me when I was probably 14 years old. I said, I, was lucky enough that I, you know, I went to a church that had a lot of youth camps and stuff like that, where they would, you know, they took you away. It got you away from everything. We would go to Yosemite because I was grow. I grew up mostly in California until I was about 18. So we went to Yosemite and, you know, this, this guy who I'd never met, who was a youth pastor, was a speaker there, man, he was just, he was a firewall. And he was just one of these guys that was like, whatever you, whatever you need, God's going to do it. I'm telling you, let's believe that God's going to do it. And I was, at that time, my parents were divorced. I didn't know where my mom was spiritually. You know, I know she had us in a Christian school, but I don't, I didn't. Sure. And so I, I did, I wept for three days over her and praying that God would move on her, that she would change her life. And so we go home. You know, after, you know, you come home on Sunday night, you're exhausted and we're sitting around. It's me and my brother Roger and, and her and we're getting ready to eat. And she goes, I, I just really need to ask you boys something to make sure you guys are OK with this. And I was like, yeah, what, I mean, what, do you, what aren't you OK with? She goes, I just want to let you know that I accepted Jesus into my heart yesterday. I was like, all right. You know, I was like, oh, it's real. It's real. So I'm telling Caleb this. I said, Caleb, you know, they talk about, I think it was, was it Jacob that put the stones who built an altar? I said, man, I grabbed the biggest stake I could find and drove it into the ground and said, this is where God met me. And so if my faith was ever at a low point, I always went back to that. You know, the great thing was I was able to lay lots of stakes and he, I mean, of course I was telling him weeping. He was crying. He goes, Oh God, he goes, it's real, isn't it? I'm like, yeah, it's real. There's nothing like a testimony. There just isn't, you can't deny it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a great moment for myself and Caleb. Uh, I miss him like crazy because you know, the other two were really quiet. They were quiet because Caleb took up so much space. Right. Because he was such a big personality. He played music. He was a songwriter. He entertained. He was a comedian, you know. And so the other two have 
I've had to adjust. Um, the one dream I had, he was, he was younger. He was like 16 and he was coming into our bedroom and I was standing right there and he had his head down and he's like, dad, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and he just kept apologizing. I'm so sorry. And I said, it doesn't matter. I love you so much. And I think, and I hope I'm not wrong, but it's like at that time, I really felt like, man, would you come with a repentant heart like that when you're, man, God just was like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. I am so glad you're here at this place right now because I can work with you in the, in this space with a repentant heart. Even if, even if you're not, he still can work with you. But yeah, I, I, I think at that point, man, I, I began to maybe understand the father's love. Like it was uncomprehensible because most of the time, you know, when, when somebody does something, you're so quickly like, yeah, you screwed up. You took that pill. How many times did we tell you not to take that pill? You know, I mean, we went over and over. I mean, dude, 20 some years and you still didn't get it. And you're still, how hard is it to be good? You know, the whole, how hard is it to be good? None of that ever came out of my mouth. I was so happy to see him. It's just like, Talk to your dad mm. on Sunday preaching about the prodigal son. Mm. It's like mm. when you really hear the story, because all I ever heard was like, you know, he took the wealth and he, he, you know, he spent it and he did all these horrible things. I never, nobody ever told me about the last part of the story until I was like in my thirties or forties. And then once I heard the last part of the story, I was like, Oh, that, so that's, that's who God is. He's going to run out to me. And when I'm begging him to take me back, he is like putting a robe on my back and a yeah. ring on my finger. Yeah. It's like, no, I didn't deserve any of this. Um, and I think when you begin to listen, sin, sin, man, it will destroy you. It will, it will spit you out. It will chew you up, eat you, kill you, destroy you. But the love of God this is the most powerful yeah. force. It's greater than that. Yeah. yeah. And it, it just doesn't if if uh, if you'll open yourself up to him. I always used to say, you know, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. I'm just telling you, crack the door open. He will shove his foot in there. <laughs> you know, I mean, why not? Image. It's like, why can't we share? You know, I told Rhonda the other night, I said, it's so easy to be influenced by everything that's around you. There's, there's so much, there's so many lies. Like, what is the truth? Can you see the truth? And maybe we should study more about this. Maybe should we should do this. What, you know, and I, I, I came to her last night and because she's a little bit of a fighter, you know, she's ready to, you know, like they're doing this and I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I get it. But I think what God's saying to us is that the fields, I'm seeing the fields and the wheat is gold. It's ready to be harvested. And I think maybe now more than any time in a long time, people are willing to hear the gospel and they want to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, I think that's what our push should be more so than ever mm-hmm. is to uh, to share the gospel. I mean, I was challenged by you and it's been several months. It was a message where you were talking about like, you know, are you influencing the people that are in your neighborhood? You know, why are you so quick to move out of where you're living? 
and we have definitely made an influence, you know, on, on our neighbors and stuff like that. But there was this one couple that has some younger boys. They have these two twin boys and they're really young. And it's like, when I heard that message, when you said that, that day, it's like, like their faces were just like, I mean, I just cannot get. So a couple weeks ago I get out of, I'm like, this is it right now. I'm going to do this right now. They're out there. And I, I walked over there to, and I still haven't finished with, with them, but it's, it's, it's a start. And, um, I just walked over and I know Rhonda's like, she's like, Oh, he's not, you know, a little bit of Papa Lou, you know, like headed towards them. And I just told him, I said, you know, I just, I said, I I love seeing your boys out here. And it's so hard because in this day and age, you know, everybody's, I mean, there's so much with sex trafficking and all the other stuff that's all of a sudden coming out in this huge way. You can't say anything without possibly offending someone. Because I know the the mom was looking at me like, you know, you're a little weird, you know, (laughs) but I think the dad, the dad picked up on it right away. I think because I can't get around kids and talk about kids without like seeing Caleb in in that moment. And I, I, I just told him, I said, I, I so appreciate seeing your boys out here playing. I said, these, these boys are beautiful. They really are. And the dad was like, you know, I'm 50. You know, I had them a little later in life. I said, well, you don't look 50. And we talked just a little bit. And then I could tell that, I don't know, at that moment, it wasn't time to tell them. But I've I've made it really easy. The next conversation is like, um, go something like this. You know, I, I hope I didn't freak you out about telling you about your boys, but I lost my son. And when I see your boys, I want you to know that in the middle of the night, when you're sleeping, your neighbors are fighting for them. You know, we take seriously some of the promises I believe God has given us, and that is to change our community. Whether it's the involved, we've always involved all the churches we try to. <laughs> we've had, sometimes it's been difficult. We just want to share the gospel with these kids. The first concert we had, we would have the golf tournament, then we'd have some extra money. It was like, let's do a concert. We got to do something to impact the community, impact these kids. You know, it's like, we just got to do something to, to get them where they can hear the gospel. And we tried desperately to go to the high schools and, and it was just like nothing. We couldn't get in. And so at one of the churches, we decided to use them. And uh, so we had it there. And so we had food. Tra- we we did some trappings, you know, to try to get the kids there. T-shirts, little rubber bands to go around their wrists and stuff like that. So, you know, no judgment, which was the last text that Caleb texted somebody. They were going through a hard time. He, he said, that's kind of our like tagline for Caleb's Cup, no judgment. It's not that we don't judge what's wrong, but we're willing to listen to your story. Yeah. So... We have these food trucks out there and Micah and all his buddies are there. So that's eight people, you know, and we've got like taco trucks and ice cream and, you know, you have all this stuff. And it's like, I mean, it's getting close to the time when it's supposed to start and there's nobody there. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, this is terrible. You know? And it's, it's like when you don't sell tickets and you give it away, it's built on faith that people will come. Hmm. 
And some kids started trickling in and this girl came out to me. It's another one of these moments. This girl came out to me and goes, uh, she, she walked up to me. She goes, don't worry, Mr. Lucas, hundreds of kids are coming. And then she just walked away. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, wow, that's, that's really weird. And I'd been trying to get to the quarterback I was like, man, if I get some of these athletes to show up, I could probably get some of these other kids to show up, you know. And I'd reached out to Ross, you know. I was like, I mean, I know you guys got practice and all this other stuff, but, man, I know it's on a Friday night, Ross, but if you could, I'd love for you to come. And as they started trickling in, he came up to me. I was like, dude, you came. He goes, I wouldn't have missed this for anything. And so we had hired a young band. We felt like... We wanted them to see younger people ministering, people that they were their age um, ministering. And so the kids love the music. We started off with the music, and then my cousin John got up there from Honduras and spoke. And he kind of started off with this story that was like this most – I knew the story, and it was horrific. You know, it was about a field trip that he went on when he was 13. He was a missionary kid in Guatemala, and he got sick on the bus and, you know – one thing led to another and he basically had to go to the bathroom in his pants and everybody else was around him. It's like the this most embarrassing moment ever. Sure. And so all the kids are like, like I'm over there like, Oh God, They're I can't believe oh, they are. They're just like, you know, and from there he went in to begin to tell them about, you think that you're outside the circle, but you're not. You have no idea how much God loves. I mean, he just began to pour out the love of God on these kids. Mm. And at the end, you know, he gave this altar call and they just began to pour down uh, to the altar. And it's just like, because all you want is you just want God to show up and just do his thing. You just want to get out of the way. You're not looking for accolades. You're not looking for people to say it was a great night or anything. You're just, you want to see life changed is what you want to see. And um, it was awesome. And we went home. And, of course, we're, we're so full, so grateful that God has, has done what he's done. And, and um, the messages start coming in the next day. And the first one's from Ross's mom. And he wakes her up. <laughs> it's kind of funny. They, the church cut the lights off in the music. Because it was like 1130 and they're like, y'all are done. Noise ordinance. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it wasn't even that. It was like, y'all are done. We want to go home. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> like it wasn't done. Like yeah. these kids did not want to leave. Yeah. They wanted to keep singing and worshiping and being prayed over. And they kind of just cut it off. It was like, okay, I guess we're done, you know. But Ross woke his mom up at about midnight. And he goes, I just have to tell you something, mom. He goes, I'll never be the same again, ever after tonight and uh it's like how do you put a price on that and um russ's a great kid he's a really good football player he's playing at a division one school in south carolina and um there's still some struggles but it's my job it's our job to stay in contact and to to let them know that it wasn't just one night that this relationship continues. And, and it's like discipleship. 
is so important and being around people that love Jesus. You know, some people are like, oh, you, all you do is surround yourself with people that love Jesus. Yeah, kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's like really terrible. You know, um, I want to be there for those people that are hurting, those people that are suffering. Um, I think, you know, sometimes out of the greatest pain can come the greatest love. Like some people think, man, this guy, you're just, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, but I mean, I, it's like when you talk about Jesus, man, I'm, I'm a mess. Mm. I pray. I say, God, please, man, just let me, can I just get the words out without like just weeping over you? <laughs> you know, but it's just like, he has poured out so much love on Rhonda and I, you know, early on. I would take showers in the morning. I'd get in the shower and I would just like, I'd lose it. Mm. You know, I'd cry all the way to work, mm. but it was in the shower that God met me. I mean, people are like, what? what are you talking about? I said, man, I'd get in there and I would just start worshiping. Mm. I would just start thanking him. I'd try to find every name that they called him in the Bible. <laughs> now they're not bad names. They're just amazing names of who he is. Who describes him. Mm. You know, and there was never a time that he never did not show up. Oh, the Holy Spirit just like, I mean, there were times where I got out of the shower, man, I felt like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm glowing. Mm. I, I mean, and people are like, oh, you're this, really? I'm like, no, man, I'm telling you, I've, I've, he's just poured himself out on me, you know, in, in such a way. And I'm just so grateful. And I, it's it's been that way where i've um i've had these encounters with him where like this last summer i i dealt with guilt like nobody's business i'm like you know you you can't protect your son mm-hmm. like i was like oh my god I, I don't want man i can't think you know my wife's really good about like hey you just you were a good dad yeah you did everything. I said, Rhonda, I'm telling you, man, why did, why couldn't I'm his dad? Why could I, maybe if I wouldn't have worked as hard, you know, these trophies really don't mean to me, but I should have maybe not done this or done that. And it's just the, and I was, I had been running sprints during COVID in the cul-de-sac and I had just finished running one. It was like, I would run 10 sprints and I'd be exhausted and I'd just put my head down for a moment and I'm always listening to worship music because it, it, it just fills your soul. I think worship, there's nothing like it. There just isn't. I mean, obviously the word, yeah, the word in worship, it's just like, I mean, it's just, you can't, if once you begin to put yourself into it, you can't, there's, there's nothing like it. And I just kind of close my eyes and all of a sudden I'm like, there was like this operating table and this is going to sound crazy, but like the Holy spirit was on one side, Jesus was on the other side and the father was at the end of the table and they never didn't say anything, but I knew I was supposed to get on the table. So it was my choice to get up there. I got up there and laid down. The next part was better than, than the rest is like the Holy spirit began to just speak into my ear. You're going to be fine. The most soothing words into my ear, you know, and because I was scared about what was about to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, um, Jesus grabbed my arm. He never said anything. He just grabbed my arm. It was just like, 
you know, just the look of like, this is going to be fine. And the father was like, we're cutting this out of you. This guilt is no longer going to be a part of who you are. You can't carry this anymore. And, and I know that sounds just weird, but it was freeing. It freed me. I didn't even tell Rhonda for probably a month. And then when I told her the story, she goes, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. I wish I could describe that voice of the Holy Spirit, just like speaking the most. I was like, because I went from a state where I was like, like, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. I'm afraid of what they're, you know, they're going to do to like completely calm. And um, so, yeah, it's, there's been a, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and to be honest with you, Jonathan, it's drawn me closer to him. And, and I, sometimes I'm afraid to tell those stories to people because I'm, I'm afraid they won't understand or they'll think, you know, it's like, ah, that's, that's just too far fetched, but I'm telling you he's real and you have to taste him for yourself. You have to experience him for yourself and get around people that talk about Jesus because if you get into a room or a place where people talk about Jesus, the atmosphere changes, you know, we've learned this through some of Caleb Scott's things, but it's like, it's not about the lights, the food. It's like, if we can get them in the building, that's all we have to do because the rest is not up to us. It's, it's our job to, to try to get them there. But once we get them there, it's like we kind of just step back and just watch Jesus do his thing and and the, his compassion just roll over these kids. And and we see lives change and, and, and then it becomes a walk. One thing we've learned is like, yeah, these kids have some great experiences, you know, and some people maybe there is some emotional stuff attached to it, but they've had an experience with him. And then then it's about like every time we see them or we see their parents, you know, because they're in our community. We see, we see them in the grocery store. We see, you know, how's he doing? How, how's this person doing? How's your daughter doing? You know, and it's, or if we see them, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just another opportunity to share the gospel with them. Mm-hmm. I know because we didn't pour ourselves into alcohol and drugs and believe me, they were offered to us. <laughs> I mean, a pastor offered Rhonda some medication the day of, and and she made the comment. She goes, she goes, I'm going to have to deal with this pain at one point or another, and I'm going to deal with it right now. Mm. You know, and she said, I'm finding purpose in the pain. Mm. She has set the tone a heck of a lot more than I have. Mm. This last year, Micah, my youngest, and his girlfriend, we were uh, we went down to the beach for New Year's. And Micah and Donna came in the room and they were like, Micah was like, we want you to pray for us. I mean, he's serious about her. You know, he, at some point I really believe he wants to marry her and he wants things right, Mm. you know, and they both poured out their hearts and they were just, I mean, it was amazing. It was was one of these just amazing moments. God shows up. It's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to say, hey, we'll pray for you later. It's it's midnight. You know, it's we're tired. Well, let's, let's do it tomorrow. You know, yeah. it's like, don't. Man, if somebody just gives you the opportunity. Seize the moment. Yeah. And so Rhonda, I'm, Rhonda's like, well, 
let me pray. And then dad will finish up after I pray. I had never heard her pray like that before. I was like, I mean, it was like one of those things where you looked up every once in a while to think like, what's going on here. And, and, uh, I didn't say anything. I just let her go and finish the prayer. And the kids walked out of the room. They were, what a way to start off the new year, <laughs> you know, as two 21 year olds. I just looked at her. I said, man, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I've never seen God use you like that before. That was incredible. You know, and you would have thought she had been through seminary. Every It's like everything that was within her was all of a sudden drawn out in this moment. And it was, um, it was amazing. Mm. And those moments, all these, it's not that God is, is, is like you said earlier in moments, he never turns his back on us. We turn our backs on him. Like the, my favorite word of how they describe him. He's a savior. He saves. Saviors don't turn their back on. Cause what I was taught when I was young was that when you're in sin, you've cut yourself off from him. It's like, wait, so in my weakest moment, my worst moment, he turns his back on me. It's like, no, no, no. I turn my back on him. He never turned his back on me. And I think when I began to realize, especially that part, and I realized that he was the savior and that in my worst moments, he was reaching to pull me out of whatever hole I had dug myself into. My heart just exploded for him. Like, what can I do to serve you? I saw this girl (laughs) on TikTok. I mean, you're probably like, well, TikTok. I mean, I saw this girl on TikTok and she said, maybe the most hardest verse in the Bible is where the father says, I don't know who you are. And it was just the way she said it. And I was like, oh my, she's right. You know, yeah. I said, I want to be that one that's in the line that's cutting. Papa, it's me. It's me, Matthew. Do you see, you know, I I mean, pushing. I want to get to him, you know, and it's like you to get to that place. You know, these are goals of mine. These are goals that when I show up that my armor is not shiny, (laughs) but it's been beat up that I have been a warrior for his kingdom. Mm. People are looking for something to fight for. Mm. I mean, you see it. I mean, we have cities that are being burned down. Mm. They want something to fight for. And I'm telling you, there is something to fight for. And it's called the kingdom of God. Mm. My goal is to do that, is to wake people up. I sometimes feel like it's like their spirit is this little ornate metal thing. And it's beautiful, but it's rusted it can be opened up and I want to, I want to be a part of helping people open that up and let them see that when this thing opens, I, you know, I can see it opening up and just shafts of light coming out of this thing and then being able to see who they really are in him. Because once you find out who you are in him, mm-hmm. everything changes. Believe me, I, I still have plenty of struggles Fear is one of the, my biggest ones, you know, and maybe that's like, as a creative, because you're always like, you're only as good as the last thing you created feels like. Um, but it's like the journey with him is like, he never lets me down ever. 
And the more time I spend with him, the more humble I get. It's like, just when I think I know him, like I've, oh, I've gained some ground I, or some knowledge. I think I know something. It's like, there's infinitely more. Yeah. He's so much bigger than, than what I, I could have ever imagined. I'm at Tyler Perry now and, and I'm doing some opens there for Tyler Perry. And there's an opportunity that I might do an opening sequence for one of his movies. And, and yeah, the, those are, are, are opportunities. And I guess I should be really excited about them, you know, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the thing that I'm excited about is God mm. and Jesus mm. and the Holy spirit. That's what I'm excited about. Um, I was on set uh, a couple weeks ago. And this kid saw me and I, he was one of the extras and I, I really didn't know who he was. And he was just like, you know, waving at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, how you doing? And finally he came over to me. He goes, I know you. And I was like, I mean, like I worked at Turner. He goes, no, church, you know, um, your son passed away. I was like, yeah. He goes, I used to go to your, to church where your sister-in-law and brother-in-law. I was like, oh, that's amazing. And so we began to talk. He began to share some of his goals and his dreams. And it's just like, those are just opportunities for you to speak life. Hmm. You know, when somebody starts telling you about their dreams, begin to, why not speak life into them? Say like, man, that's amazing. You should keep pushing yourself in this area. Obviously God's giving you a gift in this area, you know, and he seems to be opening up doors. And, and so I just began to just pour into him about the goodness of God and how, you know, it's, isn't it amazing how much God loves us and how he just does these things for us, even though we don't deserve them. And there was like 10 or 12 other people that were around. And then I stopped and this one lady looked at me and she had, her eyes were welling up with tears. She goes, please don't stop. Oh, wow. And you realize at that point, they're hungry. For how hungry yeah. people are. You know, they were the extras. They're not the lead. But they're just like, they're looking for something that's going to say, you could be there, you know? And if that's where, where God wants you to be, and if, if you have that talent and that gift, don't give up. Keep pushing yourself. Mm-hmm. Allow God to, to open up some doors. And yeah, it was one of those things where like, you have no idea. You think you're having this, this intimate conversation one-on-one with other people, and the other people are eavesdropping. And if I want to be known by anything, I don't want to be known by what I've done in television, what I've won. I want to be known by like, you get around that guy and he doesn't want to talk about anything but Jesus. Mm. He actually wants to listen to what, who I am and why I got to where I am. And, you know, so Mm. I'm sorry, John, that's a, that's a lot. (laughs) You have so many stories and I think that's just testament to you talked about how Rhonda was talking about finding purpose in the pain. You know, if you don't see it, I see it as clear yeah. as day in these stories that you're sharing in the, in the way that in Caleb's loss, there has been tremendous gain. Oh, it's in, unbelievable. In the, in the countless young people that you're pouring into, whether it's at work or through the schools or through, you know, through the, the charity organization, whatever it is, there's doors that are swinging wide open. Yeah. And it reminds me of second Corinthians where Paul says the comfort that you have received from God, you in turn then pass that comfort yeah. on to, to others. And, and you guys are doing that. Like we get the scholarships yeah. on Thursday 
You know, it's definitely, it's, I mean, even coming like today, I'm just like, Lord, please help me because it's an emotional time for us sure. to give those scholarships away. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm like, you know, this, these moments give us an opportunity to share the gospel, whether they like, they listen, we've given so much money at this point, they don't care. You know what I'm saying? It get, there does come a point. Now there are some schools that like, like Altoona was like, they were like the first year we tried to give money to uh, North Pauline. It was like, Hey, we got $50,000 we want to give away. And they, it's almost like they didn't care. And when we brought these other schools in, Altoona was like, Oh my God, you guys are really going to do this for our kids. And, and it wasn't until about, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's, it's one of those things where like people think you're a flash in the pan and, and, right. and now we're, we're Pretty five good. years yeah. into it. Yeah. And I love what Rhonda said. She goes, these scholarships are not about academics. They're about passion. And these kids are passionate about what they do and especially music. And we want to make sure that they don't let this light go out. Yeah. And I was, when she said, I was like, wow. And you see it hope, you know, yeah. can you give people hope, you know? And it's like, I wanted to give bigger scholarships to people. I was like, let's just, let's just do a few and, you know, they can really, Let's give, you know, 10,000 to one, 5,000, you know, she's like, and she started reading the letters. That's the other thing, man. You, you have no idea what these kids are going through. And they start, you have these applications that are saying like, you know, Hey, just, you know, why do you want to follow your music career? And all of a sudden it's nothing about music. It's about their life and what they're going through. And you're just like, Rhonda's just sitting at the table. She is just bawling her eyes out it's a thing where you're feeling their pain. And she's like, and I was really, I was like, Ron, we can't just give a thousand dollars to every kid. She goes, Oh, watch me. <laughs> and that has become the thing. And, and what it's done by us giving more scholarships away, it's almost like adopting kids. Like all these kids that we've given scholarships to are like a part of us. So we had, this year was our first graduating class from college that we had given some money to. And it's like, we see these kids, they, some of them still live at home or some of them come back to see us, you know, um, on that Sunday night thing, one of Caleb's best friend gave his testimony and it was powerful. He's like, how are we going to do this? I've never done this before. And I mean, this kid's on fire. I saw him at the gym, you know, a month ago. I'm like, Jake, how are you doing? We always kept in contact with Jake. And a lot of Caleb's close friends, a lot of them have really, really struggled with depression. And, and like, you know, I think when you lose somebody that close, that young, it definitely affects. In fact, there were a couple of kids that one kid wrote us this year. He says, my fault. I was like, oh, he said, been there. Yeah. He said, he goes, I was with Caleb that night. He asked me to stay and watch a movie with him. And he goes, if I would have been with him, I would have told him, no, don't call that guy and get that that medicine from him, you know? So it's my fault. And we had no idea he'd been carrying this for four years, you know, but Jake, I saw Jake at the gym and Jake had had this, had been working for a friend of mine and this friend of mine, it's just, just amazing. If businesses and people will take the time to, to honor God one day a week before work starts. And this kid, Alex, he's in his twenties. He owns an insurance agency. <laughs> he's a little go-getter. He has a Bible study every Friday and Jake came to work for him and 
Alex just started pouring the gospel into him, pouring that word into him. And it changed Jake's life, completely turned him around. Wow. Like alcohol, drugs, what he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And of course, right now, all his, his friends and Caleb's ex-friends, you know, are like, oh, they're just going through a thing. And Jake's like, he goes, I'm telling you right now, dude, I am not going through a thing. This is real. I am being changed. When I get with Jake, I don't get to say two words because Jake, he's just overflowing. I'm like, Jake, can you, you think you would talk on a Sunday night when we have everybody show up, you know, for coffee? Oh yeah. You know? And then of course, when that day comes, you kind of go, what have I got myself into? (laughs) And I was like, Jake, we'll just start off. I'll sit up there with you. We'll talk a little bit about Caleb. And then at some point the nerves will go away and God will just use you. And about two minutes into it, he goes, I just don't think I want to sit down anymore. I'm like, dude, stand up. It's all yours. Go ahead. And he began to pour out his heart and began to tell these kids, you know, it's like, man, I was drinking a lot. I was, I wasn't living right. And I mean, he just was so, he was open about everything. And then he said, all of a sudden I met God and he began to, and he just, just, and that you could hear nobody, nobody's moving, nobody's saying anything. And you're just like, there was a pastor from Westridge there who's a friend of mine, uh, Paul. And we asked Paul to pray after, after it was all done, just to kind of close it out. And Paul was like, can, can I say a few things? Like, oh, yeah, sure. He goes, it's really sad. He said, at Westridge, we really know how to play church. He said, we... We're really good at it. He said, but this, he said, this is the real thing right here. He said, this is, and I know he wasn't discrediting. Westridge has done amazing things, but it, it is, it is that, you know, that's why small groups are so amazing. Testimonies are so amazing. Like, I don't know if you were you there the night of worship when they, when Mac had that night of worship. Yeah. He did something in the middle of it. And I, because I've grown up with charismatic church and I've seen some things that I like, I'm even uncomfortable with, you know, Mac goes. And I'm so I, I was invited to be able to pray with people in the back. So I'm all the way in the back and about three quarters of the way through it. Mac goes, he goes, I'm going to do something. That's a, it's a little, it's going to be a little strange, a little weird, but he goes, I really feel like this is what we're supposed to do. He said, if there's a scripture that you that you know, just shout it out. Just, just quote it. And I was like, oh man, this is about to turn sideways. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Disorganized, yeah. Yeah, this was like, and it was one of the most beautiful things. People began to, there's nothing like the word. People began to quote scriptures. And then all of a sudden, this kid all the way in the back, about 12 years old, stood up and put his hand out. He said, I am the light of the world. He comes. I mean, it was like a shock wave that went through the place. And I was like, man, what, what gave this 12 year old or 13 year old, the courage after all these adults had done it. And it felt more like an adult thing that this one kid all the way in the back that really couldn't, I could see him because I was back there. And I mean, it was like, he jumped out of that seat, put his hands up in the air and yelled it out as loud as he could. And I was like, wow, God, you're so faithful. 
if I experienced one thing that night was that, man, I was like, the rest was, I mean, the worship was great. You know, those people are, they've dedicated themselves to, to help make fertile ground for the word to be, to be planted, you know? And, um, but that kid doing that in that moment was just like, God, man, because that's where our heart is. I mean, I would love to see kids in our community have that kind of boldness, especially at that age, at 12 or 13 to be, you know, like that's the thing that comes out of you when you're 12 or 13 to mm. quote Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. Mm. I mean, it was like, it literally was, I maybe for other people it wasn't, but it was like a shock wave. And I know people were looking back because, you know, it's a squeaky little voice, even yeah. though it was as loud as he could put it out. This is just from a personal standpoint. I, I think sometimes here at the church, I feel like the, they don't realize what they're getting, that they're drinking Coke every week. They're getting Coke. Most people are getting water, if that. And if I were to sit on the front row, I would probably be, you know, Dr. Youssef would be like, hey, just, you know, just relax a little bit, buddy. <laughs> because I, I, when you guys are preaching, I'm like, I, I mean, I'm just like, I'm just absorbing it. I'm taking it in. Mm. You know, it's like the first thing Rhonda asked me, you know, on the way home after service, how was it? I'm like, oh, God, it was amazing. Talked about this, did that. You know, we should think about how we should incorporate this into our life. And, you know, mm. and yeah, we've heard this story before, but he said something different on this, you know, mm. or it's just, you know, it's, it's time with the worship team and, you know, all of them. They have literally been such an encouragement and a love and yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing. I've been here, I think 10 years. It doesn't seem like it, but it's, I have soaked it all in. Mm. You know? Well, you have certainly been an asset to church and leading the way. I know that for sure. And I'm grateful for the ministry that God's given you. Matt Lucas, <laughs> we've gone through a lot, a lot. <laughs> but thank yeah. you so much for taking the time to be vulnerable and honest and sharing from your heart with us on Candid Conversations. Yeah, no problem. It's been my pleasure. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people to find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.